well, I want you to get to know me a little bit before we get into the word of the Lord, because we're going to talk about children this morning. I was assigned a message by Pastor Renee about two or three weeks ago. I thought I would maybe touch on marriage. When he said we're going to do a series on the family, I thought I would love to talk about marriage because uh, I really love my wife. <laughs> love being married. Been married for 13, would be 13 years, December the 13th. 13 years of wonderful marriage. And, uh, but then, so he told me, amen. He told me that I was, he said, I, you know, I really feel like I would like for you to preach on raising kids. I went, okay, well, I have kids and I'm raising them. But I felt, well, maybe, you know, you might do better than that. You might do better than me, Pastor Day, since you've been there and done that type of thing. You know, so my, my oldest is only 10. I have a, my youngest is two. But he said, you know, you're in the battle. You're in the middle of it. And so I want, I think it would be a perspective that would be good uh, for our church to hear. And so that's what we're, we're going to talk about. But I really can't talk about my kids unless I uh, let you get to know them. So here's a picture of my oldest, Joel. He's 10 years old. Just imagine a pair of glasses on his face. These, these glasses. Doesn't they look just like me? He looks just like me. And we, can, we do our comb over the same way. He wants to be like his daddy. He's a handsome young man. Joel. That <laughs> didn't come out. I didn't mean for it to be like that. He's, he's handsome. I'm just here. <laughs> Joel, if you know anything about Joel, anybody knows Joel. Joel loves basketball. And if you know anything more specifically about Joel, you know Joel loves Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors. So this is, this is my son, Joel. He loves basketball. He loves sports. And he loves music. He loves to play music. Uh, he's just such a vibrant, happy young man. He's fun to be around. He's a, he's a party, party person, party, party people. He, he loves to stay up late. Joel will not go to bed until we make him go to bed. If we are like Eliana, she's going to pass out some way, sometime during the middle of the night. Joel, he will be up. Actually, we, we had a camp out just recently. You can leave that picture up there. We had a camp out just recently. And uh, had a Joel and about seven or eight of his friends came over, and they literally stayed up to 4:20 in the morning. And so I, it was me and Matt Carnes and Billy Dishman in in, in a tent. <laughs> Can y'all imagine that? They had me in the middle, Billy Dishman was right here, and Matt was right there in a little tent. <laughs> and so about four in the morning, I'm figuring I cannot get, I cannot sleep because Billy snores and Matt snores. I'm ratting them out right now. Billy would snore for a little while, give it a rest, and then Matt would come in full force. Matt is a snorer, big time. And so I'm like, I cannot sleep. So I get up, and I, I go to use the restroom, and I go, and so I can hear the boys. I'm like, what time is it? I look at my phone, it's 4.20, and they're all up playing uh, John, John, uh, Madden football on, on the Xbox. And I'm like, y'all have to go to bed right now. And so he will stay up. All hours of the night. So that's my son, Joel. Awesome young man. My, my second uh, child is Eliana. She's nine years old. Isn't she so pretty? Look at that. Precious little girl. Pretty little smile. She smiles like her daddy. Daddy doesn't show his teeth when he smiles. And she smiles just like me. And uh, Eliana is very sweet and pleasant. And um, she, if you go to the next picture, she loves gymnastics. You see the, the first place stand over there? That's Eliana right there. Her last gymnastics meet, she got first place in her bar routine. First place in 
beam routine and second place in the floor routine and then in the vault she didn't place. But her combined score, she was first overall at level two. This is her second year, so she loves gymnastics. Eliana is my artsy, organized girl. If you want to give her something for Christmas, give her a gift card to Office Depot. Like, I'm not joking. <laughs> Office Depot, she get, she's in heaven with the sticky notes and the highlighters and the markers. I mean, she just loves it. And she's just, she's like her mama. She likes to organize and likes all the structure. And so that's my Eliana. Um, and then my next child is Reagan. Now look at that little girl, Reagan Joy Buffkin. Such a precious. Now, I don't know how many of you know, this is, Reagan is our foster baby. We have been fostering her since three days old. They brought her to our door and knocked on the door and said, here's the baby. And we said, hallelujah. And so we took Reagan and we went through some roller coaster rides with Reagan. And we thought we were going to lose her at six to eight months, something like that. that they were going to take her from us. And well, me and Estelle were in the courtroom and the, the, the decision was up to the judge. And God turned that judge's heart and the judge says, no, Reagan's staying in state's custody. And she's been with us ever since. And she, we're going to adopt her. She, her. she has an official adoption worker now. Hallelujah. And the adoption process is underway. And so we're hoping by February or March of next year, we're going to change her last name to Buffkin. So that, 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 that's Reagan. And then this next picture is a picture of Reagan and her future husband. Elijah Noel. <laughs> I just had to put that in there for my friend Jacob and Amanda. But Reagan loves Elijah. And the other day in church, they were holding hands. I, I think maybe we told them to. <laughs> they were walking around holding hands. And Reagan is just a people person, too. She goes everywhere. So she was leading Elijah wherever she wanted to go. And so they sat down and took. And he, see, why, why they're sitting there is because Reagan wants to go up those stairs. And she cannot because it's dangerous. So I made her sit. So she sat. And she's that little smile. There's a mischievous smile. (laughs) But those are my kids. And my kids are my world. My kids are my life. I mean, and if any of us have our parents now or our parents, our kids are are, are raising kids right now or our kids are older. It doesn't matter how young, how old your kids are. Your kids are your world. Your world revolves around your children. And so my heart desire for my children for Joel and for Ellie and for Reagan, is that they, would, that they would be healthy. They would be strong, that they would do good in school, that they would be uh, good citizens, that they would not, be, that they would not end up in jail, <laughs> that, they would, that they would be nice to their friends, that they would have good friends, and that they would pursue the, the career and the, and the calling of God on their life, what God has called them to. And most importantly, on top of all of that, my desire, my wife and I's desire for my children is that they would internalize the truth of God's word that I have internalized, that we have internalized. We have, from from infancy all the way until now, we have consistently and relentlessly taught them God's word. And we're teaching from a position of our heart being completely surrendered to Christ. We are teaching our kids God's word from a position of our hearts being completely God's. And we're praying one day that their hearts would be completely his. And that's my desire. They could, they could not have a great job. They could end up living at my house again one day. I'd be challenging, and some of you maybe older parents are experiencing that right now. But if they love the Lord, 
And they're serving him. At the end of the day, what more can you ask for? If your kids love you and they love the Lord and they're honoring him with their choices and the decisions that they make. That, that's my desire. That's what I want. That's what I, that's, that's what I want for my kids. And I believe that all of you in here that are parents, isn't that what you want for your children? Isn't that grandparents? Isn't that what you want for your grandkids? You want your grandkids, aunts and uncles. Isn't that what you want for your nieces and your nephews? You want them to honor the Lord, serve the Lord, make Jesus the Lord of their life. Follow in the pathway that you have laid. We work so hard as parents, don't we? To make good decisions, to, 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 to honor God with our life. We're not perfect. We make lots of mistakes. We say and do things we shouldn't say in our relationship with our kids, but we are paving a way for our children. We want them to follow after us. They don't have to do what we do. Joel doesn't have to be a pastor. Joel, Joel wants to be a bas- an NBA basketball player first. And then he wants to be a pastor, is what he told me. He doesn't have to be a pastor. He doesn't have to be a preacher. He can do whatever God wants him to do. The same with mother to children. I'm paving a way, a way of life for them to follow me in. And that's the heart of this message. And there's a, there's a story, in the, there's an account in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges. The nation of Israel, at the end of the book of Joshua, had conquered Canaan. It was the promised land. The nation, God had helped the nation of Israel win victory. They had conquered Canaan. And the end of Joshua shows a different, the northern kingdom of Canaan and the southern kingdom and shows how they, how God won them victory and they had taken over the land. And then you get into Judges and the book of Judges is a sad book. It's the history of the generation after the Joshua generation and how it's a continual cycle of them dishonoring God, walking away from God, God bringing judgment on them, and them repenting and crying and pleading and God raising up judges who would lead them out of victory, out of captivity of foreign nations. And this is the cycle. There was up to 14, there was 14 judges that was raised up over the course of many years to rescue the people of the nation of Israel. This generation, this next generation after the Joshua generation who turned their back on God. And so I thought about the nation of Israel, the Joshua generation, how they had seen the faithfulness of God and how God had helped them to to take hold of his promises of the land of Canaan and how they walked in God's ways and honored God. And I, I think their desires could have been expressed the same way that I just expressed my desire for my kids, the same way that you express your desire for your children, is that you want them to follow after you. They, they would not have believed that the generation after them would have worshipped false gods. They would have not believed. Look at what the God of heaven did for us and his faithfulness and, and how he rescued us. They would have never imagined that the children after them would completely walk away and serve false gods. Let's look at the account in Judges chapter 2. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land that was allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen, the the ones that served the Lord, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath-Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Verse 10, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. Another generation after that former 
who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord. They abandoned God, the God of their fathers, of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people that was around them. And they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. That's so heavy. That's so sad when you read that. As a parent, that's heartbreaking for me to hear that. Why, why did they do that? Why did they walk away? Why did they, why did they not follow in the footsteps of their ancestors and of their fathers? You know, and I, I don't have a good answer for that. Why is it that you can have Christian parents who raise Christian kids and then they walk away? And they, you, you, you know, some of you, uh, you could testify right now. You raise your kids in church and then they're not serving the Lord right now. I don't have a good answer. My, my, my only answer is this, is that at some point, they did not internalize the truths that the parents had. It's all about the heart. Our kids will never serve the Lord unless they make Jesus the Lord of their life. My faith is not good enough for my children. My wife's faith is not good enough for my kids. They have to internalize it. And so I believe that the nation of Israel that came after the Joshua generation. They didn't see the mighty hand of God. But they heard the stories from their parents. You can believe they heard the stories. And somewhere along the way, they did not internalize the truths of God and who he was and make it their own. And so when they were faced with their own decisions to live the way they wanted to live, it says they abandoned the God of their ancestors. And so what I want to look at this morning is there's five things I want to look at. Five things, five ways in which we can go after the heart of our kids. What does it take? What does it take to make an impact on the heart of our children? That's what we're after, parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. We're after impacting the heart of the next generation. If we can get a hold of their heart, we're going to have them. If we can get a hold of their heart, it doesn't mean that, that, that they won't stray. But if God has their heart, They will serve him and they will honor him. So what does it take to make an impact on the heart of the next generation, on our children? Here's the first thing I think it takes to make an impact on the heart of our children. It takes a fight. It takes a fight. And some of you, if you got a two-year-old, you're like, you are right about that. It takes a fight. Anybody have a strong-willed child? Raise your hand. Just be bold about it. You don't have to be ashamed. I'm here with you. It takes a fight. It's not that type of fight (laughs) I'm talking about. But it does. You have your ups and your downs. You know, listen, I remember when I did not have children. And I made a statement one time. said, looked at children that acted up in Walmart. Oh, my kid will do that one time. Maybe twice. We're going to nip that in the bud. We're going to take care of that real quick. Then the Lord gave me children. And said, we'll see how that works out for you, buddy. And it didn't work out very well. Because my children, all children, are born with a selfish, sinful nature. And they 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 are evil. As cute as kids are. Some of you think, oh, don't call my baby evil. He, they are evil. 
Just give it time. Give them a, give them a few months. They do not want to do what you want them to do. Reagan right now. I can talk about Reagan. I told you all in L.A. would not tell any bad stories about them. But Reagan has no idea. <laughs> Reagan. Reagan just now. Just recently. A few days ago. I told her. I told her. No, Reagan. Stop that. And she looked at me and said, no, you stop it. <laughs> just like that. No, you stop it. Where did she learn that? I didn't teach her to say that. That is inside of her evil heart. That needs to be redeemed by the Lord. It came out naturally from within her. And so you're at different stages of the fight. You're warring with your kids. Listen, I have compassion on you parents. Listen, that have strong-willed kids. If, you, if your kids throw fits in Walmart or wherever they are, I have compassion on you. It's okay. I don't judge you. I will never judge another parent in any public place when their kid acts up like that. Because I know... That kids can act in ways that you have no control over. None. I don't know how my dad did it. Honestly. I never acted like my kids have acted. I've, been, I've second-guessed my techniques and my strategies. But it's, it's a fight. And the fight takes different stages. So when you're, in, when, you're, when you're in a small stage, you're just fighting to keep them alive. You're fighting to feed them and clothe them and get them to bed and keep them healthy and, and deal with those temper tantrums. But then the fight progresses as your kids get older, right? The fight progresses with our culture. And so what's, what's the question that we asked? We asked, what does it take to impact the heart of our children, of the next generation? And I want you to know that there's another group of people that are trying to get a hold of your, our, our kids' hearts. And they want the, they want the affection of our children. The godless culture around us is competing with us for the affections of our children. They want our children to love the things that they love, believe the things they believe, and live the way that they live. If you look back at, Ju- at Judges chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And this is one of the commands that God gave the nation of Israel, to not intermarry with foreign, with foreign people, with foreign nations. They were supposed to drive out all of the evil inhabitants from the land. But if you go through the book of Judges, at the end of Joshua and into Judges, there's groups of these foreign nations that they did not drive completely out. And they left them there. They left them there and it says that they made them their slaves. But then eventually they begin to intermarry with them. And so when you are unequally yoked with somebody, you begin to pick up their attitudes and and their ideas and their values. And so we are in a fight With the godless culture that wants to indoctrinate our children with things that are not true. The number one primary mode and tool that this godless culture uses is media. Not Fox News, not not CNN, that's for the adults. That's how adults get get indoctrinated. Through through, through, through news media outlets. But they're after our kids through movies, through TV shows, through music, through social media. The media is, the entertainment business is the number one tool that the enemy uses to try to indoctrinate our kids with a belief system that is anti-God. It takes a fight 
to guard what your children consume. What your children and your grandchildren consume is so important. Parents, don't you ever believe, grandparents, don't you ever believe that that you have to let your kids watch and listen to whatever they want to watch and listen to because their friends watch and listen to it. You don't have to do that. You can guard and protect what goes into their ears and what they see through their eyes. It's all about modeling. And if they're seeing images and hearing things that are not biblical, that are against God's word about sexuality, about morals, about what's right and wrong, about, about, about any issue about right and wrong. If they're seeing images and hearing songs and looking on social media about things that do not honor God, they will eventually, if they see it modeled, they'll take it in and eventually, incrementally, incrementally they, will, they will internalize it and it will have an impact on their heart and on their affections. And then, they, and then it goes even further into the kids they hang out with. You, you, we, we as parents, as grandparents, as adult leaders, we have a responsibility to guard the people that our kids hang around with. You know, we're so cautious about the kids they hang around with. Just the other day, Joel, we were in our subdivision and Joel wanted to go. There's a friend that we found that their parents share similar values that we share. And we let Joel go and play at their house and he will come over to our house. And so then Joel one day said he wanted to go play with this other boy, play outside and play football. So I didn't feel in my heart I should have done it, but I did it anyway because I could see him. He wasn't going into their house, but he went and played. And not long after, I come back and I hear word. I said, Daddy, they were, they were saying the F word. And they were saying this other word. And I don't know what that word means. And we have to guard that. I remember when I was 15 years old. Listen, I, my parents were, they sheltered me a lot. Some people think, some people think you shouldn't shelter your kids, but my parents sheltered me a lot, and I thank God for it. But I did get out every now and then, out of the shelter. I played with friends, and I would hear them curse. And I, remember, and I just wasn't a, someone who cursed, but I heard it day in and day out. And then I was in public school, so I heard it in public school. I remember one day I'm playing baseball with some friends, the neighborhood friends, and this boy throws a pitch at me, and he throws it at me and not over the plate. And I thought, okay, it was just a wild ball, you know. And then he does it again. Now, I'm like 14 or 15 years old. I I don't think I've ever cursed in my life. I said, don't do that again, or I'm going to come and hit you with the bat. So I told him. (laughs) I was was small. If you can imagine, I was smaller than I am now. (laughs) What what was I going to do with that boy? And so he did it again to spite me. And I took off running with the bat. I can picture it. Took off running with the bat. And I am yelling every obscenity you can think of. Everything. The word my son heard. All of it. I'm yelling at this guy. And, and immediately I saw a couple of friends that were out there that went to church with me. And my heart sank. Oh, gosh, they heard me curse. So I went immediately went and apologized to them. I said, I'm so sorry. I was afraid I was going to get back to my mom and dad. I don't know if it ever got back to them. If a mom watches this, I'm ratting myself out, but it's a fight. And so parents, parents, as our kids get older, we have to, we have to buckle down. We gotta, we gotta stay in there. We gotta guard. It's a consistent fight and it is worth the fight. And people who say you don't have to guard your kids, I'm sorry. I just disagree with that. 
I totally disagree with that. This anti-godless culture that wants nothing to do with the God of the Bible, that's trying to squeeze Jesus out of everything in our society, that's the culture we're at war against for our kids. And look, they're, they're going to get older one day, and they're going to have the opportunity to listen to whatever they want to listen to. But while they're in my home, I'm going to guard it. I'm going to protect them. And they, they are not going to be any less prepared for real life. They're going to be more prepared because they're going to they're going to be able to tell the difference between truth and a lie. Because the lie says the lie of the culture would say that 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 you can sleep around with anybody you want to and there's no consequences. The truth of God's word says there's something completely different. I could keep going on this one for a while, but I'm like way running out of time here. But it takes a fight. Our godless culture, motivated by Satan and his demons, want to indoctrinate our children with secular, postmodern ideas about truth and morality. What, what are postmodern ideas about truth and morality? There is none. There's no truth. There is no truth. That's a postmodern worldview that, that they want to shove down our kid's throat. There is no truth. Whatever feels good to you, whatever seems right to you, however you want to live, whatever decisions you want to make, even if they're anti-God, anti-Bible, it's okay because there is no objective standard for right and wrong and morality. But we are here as parents to stay in that fight and hold in high regard the truth of God's word. How do we fight back against this onslaught? Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 says this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. By keeping all the statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be long. Hear therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them. That it may go well with you and that the, you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your might. In verse 6, And these words I commanded you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently. This is how we combat. This is how we fight. We teach our kids diligently these truths, these commands. We talk about them when we sit in our house. When we walk by the way, when we lie down, when we rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. We fight back by relentlessly holding in high regard the truth of God's word to our children in as many ways and as often as we can. It's a fight. But we just continuously hold up. This is God's word. This is God's truth. I'm teaching you what is true. In comparison to what is false. Secondly, what what does it take in the next step from this? Is that it takes authenticity. This truth we're holding in in high regard as parents must have genuinely changed our hearts. And be consistently seen in the way that we live. It takes authenticity. Do as I say not as I do, will undermine everything we attempt to teach our kids to value. Do as I say, not as I do. Parents, we hold it up high. But if we don't live it, you know, you can drag your kids to church every Sunday. 
But if they know that when you get home, you're not serving the Lord. You can, you can tell your kids, don't watch that show. But if they know that you stay up later and they've seen you watch shows that you, they say you can't watch. If they, if they know that you don't live what you declare that you live, you can teach them till they're blue in the face. They will value the things that you value. Kids will, kids will become who you are. They will become who you are. If God has your heart, they will, they will, they're gonna honor and love the things that you honor and love. James, James chapter five, James chapter three, excuse me, talks about this. Says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So if, if the kids see that there's not an authentic, genuine faith that has transformed the lives of their parents, eventually they're going to catch on. Eventually they will catch on. And so blessing and cursing should not come from, from the same mouth. And you go to the next verse. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What that means is, is that if it's genuine, genuine in your heart, it will be genuine in your life. Now, I'm not talking perfection. Parents, we make mistakes. And I, I want to share with you one of my, one of my mistakes with my kids. It's a funny story, but it, it's a genuine mistake that I made with my children. We went camping one day, another camping story. And we wanted to get to the Mississippi campground before dark because I had to set up a tent I'd never set up in the past. And so we did not get there at, uh, while it was still light. We got there as it was getting dark, and I had to use the lights of my vehicle to keep, to be, to be able to see. And if anyone knows me, I get hangry. Pretty often, I have to eat at certain times because I got to take care of this little body that God gave me. And, and I, I can get emotional and I can get irritable and hard to be around. So if you want to hang around, around with me, bring a Snickers bar and we'll, we'll, and we'll be good. And But I was in that condition, in that state. I hadn't eaten. It was, it was 7 o'clock, 7.30. It was dark. And I'm frustrated. And I don't know how to put this tent together. And I'm not looking at the instructions. And my kids are getting in the way. And I'm arguing with them. And, and I'm saying harsh things. And I'm, getting, I'm just frustrated. Really, if you would have looked at me, you would have thought, I don't want to hear anything that guy has to say <laughs> about raising kids or about living for God. I mean, and I wasn't cursing. But, but I just was mean. I mean, I can get Estelle up here. She'll tell you. I was just mean. It was rude. And Eliana, my little true north girl, came up and she looked at me and she said, Daddy, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Just like that. And I mean, my heart went, oh, oh, but I, I played it like it didn't really affect me. You know, I said, but it pierced my heart. And the word of God had been planted in her heart. She didn't know exactly what that scripture meant, but she knew that if you're a righteous man, you should be not talking like you're talking and treating me like you're treating me. And it convicted me. And she knew she could tell it wasn't right. And so this, and, and so, so in our lives, it, it takes authenticity. They, our kids must see. And you know what was really great and authentic about that moment was that I apologized. After I set the temp up, after I set the temp up, tent up with my wife who finally came and said, how about we read the instructions? <laughs> the, stereo, the stereotype is completely true, guys. 
we don't like the instructions. It took my wife to tell me, you might want to look at the instructions. And when we looked at it, it was up and within five minutes. Afterwards, I had food in my belly. I had calmed down. We're in the tent. And I apologized. It It was authentic. It was real. I owned what I did. And so they have to see. It takes authenticity to get to our kids' hearts. Our kids value the things they see that we actually value. Not the things we tell them to value. To be authentic means that we're genuine. We are genuinely who we say we are. And we all know we're not perfect. We all know we make mistakes. But we genuinely serve the Lord and honor Him. The goals of rules and regulation, the goal of rules and regulations is not to create perfect little rule followers. The goals of rules and regulations is to teach our kids to respect authority and to protect them from walking down a path that will bring them harm. And our kids will never follow those rules if they don't see that we respect the same rules. Can't tell you the times I'm driving in the car and my kids will say the speed limit is such and such. Or that that, that, that was a yellow light, almost red. Or put your phone down, daddy. I mean, the kids, they know the rules. And they will do what we do. They will value what we value. It takes authenticity. It takes a fight. We're in the fight. We're struggling to teach them the truth of God's word. And we are desperately crying out to God. Help us, God, to live in ways that honor you so our kids will follow after us. We want to be genuine and true and authentic. And thirdly, what else does it take to impact the heart of our kids? Y'all are going to laugh at this one. It takes a village. <laughs> she might have lost the election. But she had some good points here. Now, now, the village that this lady is talking about is an attack against the family. She was trying to downplay the significance of the family unit and that it takes more than just a family. It takes all kind of different types of families. But we dealt with that last week. God has a design for the family. But it takes a village. Parents, we need all the help we can get. It takes... And I, I described what a village is for us. It takes a community of like-minded people to come alongside parents to help reinforce the biblical truths that they are teaching their children. It takes a village. It takes a community. I am desperately in need of people to help me to raise my kids. I need them. Because I don't... Listen, my kids will listen to me some of the time. But there's nothing like another adult strong figure that comes in and things I've told them to do. Somebody will come back behind me and say it, and they do it. And at first, I could feel threatened, but I'm like, oh, hallelujah. When I was younger, when my kids were younger, I might would have felt threatened. But now I'm like, so be it. Whatever it takes to get that truth to them. When Coach Fry coaches those young men on the, on the basketball court, is teaching them morals and values and, and a hard work ethic. Those parents, we rejoice in that because we need people to reinforce the truths of God's word in the hearts of our kids because we're in a fight. We're in a battle. We want them to follow after us. And it's like a, it's like a hedge of protection, right? All around our kids, we're guarding them. We're teaching them. We're protecting them. We're living lives that are genuinely serving the Lord. And then, and then other people come alongside us and they, and they bring reinforcements and say, listen, your parents are right. This is true. This is right. And I came up with a list of what some of the reinforcements look like. The first one is A, it's grandparents. How many grandparents do we have in the house this morning? Amen. Look at all the grandparents in here. Amen. Listen, you are important. 
Your grandkids will follow your example. You, you have an opportunity to reinforce the truth of God's word in their life. And some of you are grandparents to kids who aren't in Christian homes. You have such an incredible opportunity to teach them about Christ and they're not even getting it in their home that they're being raised in. Grandparents are so incredibly important. 2 Timothy 1.5 gives us an example of a grandparent in Timothy's life. I am, this is Paul speaking to, to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you. It was a generational faith that was passed on from grandmother Lois to Eunice and then to Timothy. So grandparents, you, you are a second line of defense. You are a second line of support. Some, some of you, like I said earlier, you're the first line of influence into your kids' lives. Psalm 71, verse 18. Now, this verse says, now that I am old and gray. So I guess that would be grandparents, right? <laughs> old and gray. I guess you don't necessarily have to be old to be a grandparent. How many young grandparents do we have in here? All the same hands went up. Look at that. Can you believe that? All the same hands. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation. Your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Grandparents, you have the privilege of seeing God's faithfulness over a lifetime. And you can tell your, sit them down on your knee and tell them all the stories of God's faithfulness. And every story you tell them, every story you tell them of God's faithfulness, they, they, it, you may not think it, but they internalize it. And it pierces their heart and they think, wow, God is faithful to my mama and my papa. He's faithful to my grandma and my grandpa. And, and then I see and I hear what my dad is telling me. It's just layer upon layer of reinforcing. Grandparents, you are valuable and you are needed to raise kids. You thought, hey, I'm done. Just going to spoil them. Just going to give them sugar and candy and toys. That is not your job. Trust us. That is, trust us parents. That is not your only job. We need you to help us out. Have our back too. When we lay down a law for our kids, follow through with that for us, please. That would really be helpful. If we say our kids can't listen to a certain type of music, don't play it on your radio with them. Don't let your house become a place where they can come and act stupid. And do the things that mom and daddy won't let them do. You be a house that says, you know what? I respect your mom and dad. I may not always agree with what their stands are, but I would have wanted the same thing when I was raising kids. I wish my father-in-law was here. No, my father-in-law does a good job. He, he does a great job. Grandparents, you're needed. Second line of defense, uncles and aunts. How many aunts and uncles we have? You know, I, I'm an uncle. I take that job serious. I am an uncle, and I believe every opportunity I get, you can ask my niece. I have one niece. I say I take it serious. I have one niece and a, and a nephew. You see, it's only two of them. But you ask my niece. She's a, a freshman at college at LSU, and I went and played golf with her boyfriend, just me and him by herself for three hours. And let me tell you something. This uncle right here told that boy how to live. I did. I promise you, they'd be so mad at me right now. But I told them how, I, I said, this is what you, this is how you treat her. And look, if she starts wanting to do things she shouldn't do, you be the leader. You lead her. You, you walk down the right path. She's going to follow you. I, I took that serious. I'm an uncle. 
I have a responsibility to any, any opportunity I have to pour into the next generation. I'm going to take it. And if they don't like it, and look, I, I don't talk like this all the time. I'm like, I'm, I'm calm and I'm laid back. But I talk matter-of-factly and to the point. Because, look, you, you only live once. And, and you only get one opportunity. And they might not ever listen to me again. But while I have them, they're going to hear what I have to say. So aunts and uncles, that's another line. And it's biblical. Abraham had a nephew. What was Abraham's nephew's name? Lot. And what did Abraham have to do for Lot? He had to rescue Lot. That's uh, Genesis 14. When Abraham heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized 318 trained men. Can you imagine that as an uncle? Your, your niece or nephew get captured and you gather 318 trained men. We're going, we're going in there and we're going we're gonna to get my niece and nephew out. This was an uncle that was mobilized to take care of his nephew Lot. 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Kedor lay Amor's army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. And that army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken. And he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. Would you say that's an engaged uncle or what? That's an engaged uncle. We're called to be engaged in the life of the next, next generation. However... They're related to us. And then a second thing that Abraham did, Lot got in trouble again in Sodom. And what did, God was ready to destroy Sodom. And what did Abraham do? He interceded for Lot. And he has this conversation with God. He starts with, with 40 people. God, would you spare Sodom for 40 righteous people? And eventually got down to 10. God, there's 10 righteous people. They could only find 10. It was Lot and his family. And he says, I will spare. And God gave Abram an opportunity to go in and get Lot and his family and get them out. So we have to be praying, aunts and uncles. Pray for your nieces and your nephews. This is about the next generation. We need a generation after us that will stand for the truth that we have stood for, that we fought for, that we believe in, to stand for the gospel. And then this next layer is pastors and leaders in the church. Pastors and leaders in the church. This is another layer of reinforcement. Listen, bring your kids to church. And have them go into children's ministry. I love it. I celebrate our kids' ministry. I celebrate what they do. Because it is so important. I need my kids. I can't tell you the times my kids have come home. And we've talked to them about what they've learned. That Matt and Chandra and the other uh, children's church leaders have taught them. It's so important that they are, they are hearing it from other voices. And then you have the youth ministry with Derek. It's so important that, that as your kids get older, as, as they're growing up and they're, they're becoming teenagers, they need another voice, a strong voice. We have a strong voice with Nicole and Derek in our youth ministry. They are teaching biblical principles. They are showing the gospel to our, to our teenagers. And this is another line of reinforcements. Amen? It takes a community. It takes a village. And fourthly, what is it? What, what's another area it takes? What does it take to go after our kids' hearts? It takes forgiveness. I just want to touch on this point real quickly. It takes forgiveness. And I just want to touch the issue of offense between parents and children. You know, when your kids are younger and they're offended at you, who cares, right? When they're two, they're mad at me. Oh, just go in time out. (laughs) You'll get over it. And two seconds later, they're fine. Then they get a little older. They become teenagers and they get mad at you. They're offended. And you've done something that genuinely hurt them. 
And then they get a little older and they're young adults, they're married. And you've done something that's hurt them or they've done something that's hurt you. And there's walls that are up. There's walls that are built up in their heart and they want nothing to do with following the Lord because there is genuine offense between you and them. And in some cases, you're, you're the innocent one and you didn't do anything. And, and your kids have done something against you and they've hurt you. They've rebelled against you. They've been mean to you. They have offended you. They've said hurtful words to you. And you're like, I'm the innocent one. I don't deserve to be treated like that. And there's walls that are built up. It takes forgiveness to get to their heart. It takes forgiveness. When I was thinking about this point, you know, I've been angry at my parents before in the past as an adult. I've been, I've been more than angry. I've been, I some, some hatred in my heart towards my parents at times when I was an adult because of situations that happened in my life. And it took a while for the Lord to work on my heart. But one of the things that I thought about from a parental standpoint is the word agape love. Agape love. Does anybody know what agape love is? It's God's love. God loves us with agape love. A love that, that cannot be conquered. A love that cannot be stopped. A love that is unconditional. Agape love, it is a love that is totally devoted. A love that is not contingent on being earned before it is given. Before it, it, before it is given. And that type of love is the type of love that we love our children with. And that is the type of love we have to have in those moments whenever there is walls of offense between us and our kids. We have to, listen, I'm speaking to the parents this morning. If you have kids in your life that have offended you, and maybe you've offended them and there's these walls that are there, you be the pursuer. You be the one that pursues them. You want, do you want their heart? Do you want their heart? You own it. You say, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. Forgive me for what I've said. Forgive me for what maybe has caused you to do what you've done. Forgive me. I'm sorry for what I've done. That's agape love. This is the love that God has loved us with. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, this is the love of the gospel. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were the guilty, what did Christ do? He pursued us and died. He was the pursuer. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh. Verse 4. But God. But God as the pursuer, the one that went after us, was rich in mercy because of the great love. That word love right there. That word love, it's the word agape. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's a pursuing love. 
So I challenge parents, if there's walls between you and, and you and your kids, let that agape love rise up in your heart and say, God, you love me with an agape love when I was sinful, when I didn't deserve it, when I couldn't earn it, and you pursued me when I was still a sinner, and I'm going to seek out my child. I don't care how far away they are. I don't care what they've done. I'm going to pursue them with an agape love. And look, it's going to take, for, for some of you, it's going to take a lot. It takes humility. To do that because you have been wronged and there's hurt that's there. But if you will pursue, you will go after their heart incrementally, moment after moment, moment after day after day, month after month, their heart will be softened. You will be able to get after their heart. You will go after their heart. Agape love looks like this in Romans 8, 35, 37 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the word agape. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the agape of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the love we have as parents for our kids. I don't know what it's going to be like to have my teenage son, my adult son, offend me and for there to be a wall up. But I pray that I will live what I'm telling you to live. I pray that by God's grace that I will love my kids with the agape love. You know right now that love you feel for for your kids right now, you will do anything for them. But when offense comes in, walls go up and you feel like I just I just can't do it. We're always called to love our kids with God's kind of love. That's how we go after their heart. That's how we go after their heart. It takes forgiveness. When we love with agape love to our kids, we demonstrate to them what unconditional love looks like. When we forgive and seek forgiveness with agape love with our kids, we demonstrate to our kids what Christ-like humility looks like. There is nothing in this life that is worth allowing a wall of division to be built up and maintained between ourselves and our children. Nothing. What's the last thing that it takes to get a hold of the heart of our children? Most importantly, it takes the Holy Spirit's work. It takes the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Look, we throw our hands up. We seek forgiveness. We seek to be authentic. We consistently stay in the fight of teaching our kids God's truth. But at the end of the day, who is the one who saves people? God does. He's the one that draws people to himself. He's the one that we want to touch our kids' hearts. It takes the Holy Spirit's work. We say, God, I'm in desperate need. And I, I, listen, I feel like that. When we pray for our kids, I feel like that with, with my children. God, I am in desperate need of your help. I am flawed. I am weak. I make mistakes. I say things I shouldn't say. I react in anger towards my kids. God, I need your help to be the parent that I need to be. God, I need your Holy Spirit to strengthen me. I need your Holy Spirit to touch my children's heart. God, to protect them, to keep them, and to draw them to you. It takes the Holy Spirit's work. You know, there's a verse, there's a scripture in Proverbs 22, 6 that I think people... People look at this verse as kind of like a fix-all promise about kids. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. People say, well, all right, well, hey, if I do this, I check off my box, then my kids, 
are going to follow Jesus one day. Let's put, let's put that back up there. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. When you study that word way out, it has the meaning of, of, a, of contrasting that there's a way that all people desire to go, and it's a way of sinfulness. And it's contrasting that between the way of, of, of the Lord. So, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And when you say that, that, that phrase out, will not depart from it, it doesn't have the picture that that child will not walk away from the Lord. It has a picture that that truth will not depart from him. That truth will not leave them. They will be doing and saying something, hanging around people, and in the back of their mind, they're going to hear the truth of God's word. All those times you sat around the dinner table and you opened the Bible and you prayed and you taught them scripture and you reinforced things and you brought them to church and Derek and and Matt and Chandra and other leaders and grandparents and aunts and uncles said things, reinforced truths, held the truth of God's word high. It'll be in the back of them. That truth will not depart them. And God will work on their heart. But ultimately, if God's going to have their heart, it's going to be because they say yes. It's going to be because... They surrender to the Holy Spirit's work. So as parents, we're desperate. We're in a position of desperation. We say, God, we need your help. God, I need you. I want this next generation to follow after you. I don't want this culture to just suck away all the life of God out of this generation of young people. I want this next generation that comes after me to follow God. To hold up the truth of Scripture. To worship Him, to honor Him, to be those who spread the gospel. We're desperate for that. And the only way that's going to happen is if our kids are wrecked by the gospel. That they hear the truth of the gospel about how they were lost and that God pursued them. So we do all we can do. We try to be authentic and real and we teach the truth of God's word. But we stay on our knees. And we pray for our children. We consistently intercede like Abraham did for his nephew. We pray for them every day, every day, every day. You know, our future does depend on it. Our future does depend on it. You know, our responsibility as a church is to reach this world for Jesus. The only way we're going to do that at Living Word Church or any church is, this, is, is if we raise kids to honor God. And the only way that they're going to honor God is if we consistently preach the gospel and demonstrate the gospel to them. And one of these days, it's going to catch them. It's going to pierce their hearts. And that's, that's one of my desires for this church, is that we would always be a church filled with young people that are vibrant and full of faith, full of life and passion for Christ. Because that's what we need. We need something to stand in opposition to this world. No one else is going to do it. No one else. It's us. We're the ones. No one else is going to stand for Christ but us. That's our attitude. We're going to do it. As for me and my house, as for me and this house, we're going to serve the Lord. I gave you a list. If you look in your bulletin, it's a cardstock copy, something that you could keep and put in your, your refrigerator. Seven things to pray for my children. 
If you, do, if you don't have a bulletin, you can get it at guest services when you leave. And I just want to read this. Seven things that we pray for our children. Number one, that Jesus will call them and no one will hinder them from coming. Matthew 19, 13 says, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The, the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Second thing we pray, that they will respond in faith to Jesus' faithful, persistent call. Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We pray that they will experience sanctification through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and will increasingly desire to fulfill the greatest commandments. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We want our kids to love their neighbors. We want them to love God, for God to have their heart, and then for in return, we want them to love others. Number four, that they will not be unequally yoked in intimate relationships, especially marriage. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Number five, that their thoughts will be pure. Oh, God. Such a fight for that. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Oh, that's our prayer for our kids. They would not have a mind filled with impure thoughts from the filth and the gutter of this culture. Number six, that their hearts will be stirred to give generously to the Lord's work. All the men and women and the people of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Number seven, that when the right, when the time is right, they will go. And Jesus came and said to them, all the authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. This is what we want them to go. We just don't want them to get out of the house. We want them to get out of the house and go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Take this. Pray these things over your kids, over your grandkids, over your nieces, over your nephews, over the young people in this church. Pray these things. This is what we pray over our kids. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Amen. Why don't you close your eyes with me? I just want to pray for a couple of groups of people just real quickly. With no one moving around, let's just stay just for a couple more moments. I know that I t- this is a sensitive subject for, for all of us that are parents and grandparents. All of us have kids. But I just want to pray for two groups of people. I want to pray for the first group is for people who have kids that have wandered from the faith. That they are not serving the Lord right now. And your heart is hurting. And then I, I want to pray for the group of people that was touched by, by my fourth point about forgiveness. That there's a wall and a wedge between you and your children right now. There's just anger that's built up. There's a fence that is built up. 
and that touched your heart and you want to see that wall broken down. If you are in any one of those two categories, I just want you to make your way down front. Your children don't know the Lord or there's something between you, you and your kids. And you, I just want to pray for you this morning. Just come on down front. We want to agree with that as a church body. We are one body. We are in this together. We're not just a group that comes and, and spectates and comes and checks off a religious box. We're a family of God unified around the gospel. We are here with these fellow brothers and sisters. We love, we love our family. We love our family. We love them. We love their kids. And we want to see their kids serve the Lord. Just keep on coming. We're going to wait until you're all down here. This is so important. So important. Amen. And as I pray, I just want you to stretch your hands out towards all these that have come up here. And pray for their kids as you would pray for your kids. Pray for their kids as you would pray for your kids. Father, I pray for these children, Lord. God, I intercede on their behalf right now. I pray for every child that is represented right here up front at this altar. God, I pray for the ones that don't know you. God, I pray, Lord, that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. That they, like the prodigal son, God, they would come to the end of themselves and they would see that the path that they're on only leads to emptiness. God, I pray that they would recognize it. They'd see it. They'd come to their senses and they would come back to their father's house. Uh, God, I pray that these kids that don't know you, that have walked away, God, I pray that you would bring somebody into their life to preach the gospel to them, to demonstrate the gospel to them. Lord, let them hear it. Let them see it. Let them know it. And let their heart be touched by the truth of the gospel. Lord, draw them back to you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Draw them to salvation. God, you're the only one who can save. And we are desperate for you to save our children. And God, I pray, secondly, for all the relationships that are represented here with kids, with parents and children, that there's a, there is offense there. There's walls that have built up over the years, and, 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 and there's many situations that came up that added to those walls and things that were said, words that were expressed that should have not been expressed. And there's just tension and offense and hurt and bitterness. God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that those walls will be broken down. God, I pray that you would give these parents up here that are in that position, that you would give them the words to say. That you would give them the wisdom on how to approach their children. And I thank you for complete restoration to relationships with kids and parents, fathers and sons and fathers and daughters, mothers and sons and mothers and daughters. Restoration. And God, I thank you for every child represented, every person in this room that represents the next generation of our church, of our families, of this city, of this country. God, we pray for the next generation. God, we pray that this next generation would be a generation that would love you, that would honor you, that would worship you, that would hold high the truth of the gospel. God, we are desperate for your move. God, we are desperate for you. We need your Holy Spirit's work in our life and in our church and in our families. And God, I thank you for a continuing 
building of unity amongst the people of this church. Ah, God, I pray that we would be more than just numbers and people in a chair. But God, that we would be interconnected in relationship with one another. That when other, when, when, when someone weeps, we weep. When someone rejoices, we rejoice. One family, common unity, bound together in love. The bonds of peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, keeping us together in unity. May we love and pray for one another with that type of love. Thank you for our family, our church family, Lord, this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.